What is up, everybody? Will Vance here, managing editor of Magnetic Magazine and the host of the Magnetic Meeting podcast. Sorry for last week's change of schedule. I decided to post the fourth episode of the podcast about a week later than originally intended, as I've been moving to a completely new house in a completely new city, and I just couldn't find the time to handle all the editing that goes into this podcast. But anyway, enough about my personal life. Let's dive into this week's episode. This week on the podcast, we have Tom Wilson, who has been an instructor at Point Blank Music School for years now, and also has his own artist project, too. Having been producing music for many, many years now, Tom has been on the front lines of the music industry as it's changed and morphed over the decades. Because of this, Tom is incredibly insightful about music's power to stand the test of time and to stay relevant far beyond the standard shelf life of today's churn and burn release cycle. Which is why today, Tom and I will dive deep into the word timeless and timelessness. We'll cover topics such as what makes music timeless, how he teaches timelessness to his students at Point Blank Music School, and even if music can be considered timeless in the moment and age in which it's being made, or if it's just an impossible standard producers aim for in the moment when they're making the music. But before we dive into this episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the sponsor, Point Blank Music School. If you're looking to elevate your game in the music industry, there is no better place to look than Point Blank. Offering a range of in-depth courses from beginner level, which Tom and I actually discuss later on in this episode, to advanced level courses, you can learn pretty much anything about the music industry, DJing, music production, and so much more at Point Blank. They are the industry standard for music education, and between their online classes and in-school seminars, hitting your goals in music has never been easier and more feasible. So allow Point Blank to help you make them happen. Now, let's dive into the episode with Tom Wilson from Point Blank Music School. All right, everybody. This is William Vance, the host of the Magnetic Meanings podcast. And on episode four, we have Tom Wilson, who is one of the lead instructors at Point Blank Music School. Tom, why don't you do a little bit of introduction? Tell me, tell me what you do at Point Blank. Tell me what you do with your artist project. Kind of give the listeners a, a 101 about your life. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to, you know, chat with you. Let me just start first. You you said my real name, but my artist name is uh, Sweats and Clank. That's my music project. Um, been doing that for many years now. Obviously, if you're not familiar with it, go check out my music wherever you stream or listen to your music. And uh, I am also one of the lead instructors over at Point Blank Music School in Los Angeles, where I teach students how to produce music, make beats, mix, master, all the above. It's quite fun and fulfilling position to be in. Being a mentor to young people who are just looking to get into the business, who are looking to get into making music and learning how to use software and are just, you know, full of hopeful glee and, and enthusiasm. They're green. Um, and it's it's really nice to work with and be a mentor to people who aren't quite jaded yet from being in the, in the music business they they all come in with rosy rosy tinted glasses on right that is correct no you got some who are just like yeah i know it's gonna be tough but they're hungry and others are just like oh so i just you know music is my love and i want to do music and i'm like that's amazing let's help you uh let's help you get there and there's pros and cons to both outlooks on life right um but you ha also had some music come out i uh just today why don't you talk about that release a little bit what's the name of uh, it yeah I just had just had a new single come out today. It's called We're All Dreaming. 
Um, it's the first single from a forthcoming EP that I have coming out next year called Reverie. And yeah, it's just a short minute, like feel good, little bop. Um, I think we could all use songs like this right now with the state of the world and all that stuff. So it's just a nice little track. Go check it out. We're all dreaming. Sweats and Clank. I release music quite a bit and put records out quite a bit. I also have this thing where uh, I have a background in art, so I also really love to sort of make limited, very limited runs of vinyl for my releases, like 20 to 50 copies, um, and usually have some sort of very one-of-a-kind artwork for each one, and they become like collector's pieces and, you know, sell out pretty quickly. So, um, for those of you who might be wondering, yes, there will be a very, very limited run of the Reverie EP on vinyl, 50 copies. Well, if there's any still left in the store, we'll be sure to put a link to the shop in the show notes that will be published immediately alongside this episode. But let's dive into the kind of the meat and potatoes of this episode, right? Because this is Magnetic Meanings podcast where we kind of talk about the words and the people in the music industry and how the words impact everything that's kind of going on, uh, both in your career and the wider industry overall. So what's the word that you wanted to kind of bring to the table to chat about today? Um, so yeah, you, you had told me that, you know, you like to base these podcasts on one word and the word that immediately came to my attention because it's something that is kind of a theme and something I'm studying and, and analyzing very much in my own life and my own music is timelessness. Let's unpack that a little bit more. Like why, what are some specific like examples or like, you know, some signs in your life that, that really wanted to bring this word to the table today? Well, as I get a little older, um, I find myself going back to things that make me feel good, that um, things that just sometimes bring back memories from the good memories from the past or even sad memories from the past. Um, and I find, you know, being heavily focused in the world of music and art, I find myself going back to songs, albums, artists, um, paintings, things like that, that have a certain timelessness to them where, you know, we live in a world where so there's so much content being created and there's so much um, music being made, art being made, fashion being made. Um, you know, the world is full of creative people. And yet at the same time, I find myself more and more going back to things that to me, no matter how many years have gone by or how many times I've viewed or listened to them, they just remain as fresh and beautiful as on day one that I heard them or discovered them. And so that theme of timelessness is something I'm also heavily trying to explore in my music. I have never really followed the current trends in music making and have always set out to make music that, in my opinion, at least I attempt to make music that is timeless, right? So that if you listen back to it in 10, 20 years, you'll still be like, oh, that's, that's good. It doesn't, have a, it doesn't have an expiration date, right? Um, and I also feel like the more we go back and look at things from the past, like the past is a huge inspiration to me. Also, the future is too. But when I, when I work on my own music, I don't listen to, like for instance, when I set out to make an album, I make a point of not listening to what is current. I only listen to old music, old records. And most of my inspiration 
comes from those places rather than worrying about what is happening currently in the music business right totally and so that sounds like you know that's one almost intentional or conscious step that you're doing in your own music production to sound timeless right like not listening to the modern trends only listening to stuff that kind of taps into not the nostalgia so much but you know like it, it kind of pulls at your own personal heartstrings of whatever memories you have associated with it from a year gone by or whatever are there any other like intentional or conscious approaches that you have to music production uh that you hope will result in a music that others perceive as timeless yeah i mean i can say after sitting and really studying what trying to dissect what makes a song so incredibly timeless i have to say simplicity is one okay and as music producers with all the tools that we have at our fingertips from the software to the plugins to the millions and millions of sounds and samples that we have access to it's very easy to overcook to add too much to say too much to need to prove yourself in a way you know i see this with a lot of my students and a lot of young artists people want to prove that they're great and in doing in trying to prove that they're great and believe me i'm guilty of this as well especially in older work is like just trying to do too much in one song and i found that that timelessness comes from honestly being as simple and like adopting a less is more attitude and being able to make something that's incredible sounding and timeless and catches people by using less notes and less instruments is actually a lot harder than stacking you know 100 tracks on top of each other and making a crazy intricate song it really is and so for me lately that's been one thing that i set out when i create my own music is like sometimes i need to throw all the paint at the canvas just to know that i've thrown all the paint at the canvas but then i go and strip all the layers out until you know the actual like the meat and bones is just there all that's necessary right uh yeah by and large how long do you spend uh throwing paint at a wallet at for one specific song before you kind of move on to the next phase of starting to chip and chisel away at it i would say it kind of depends but usually um i throw a lot of paint at the wall um <laughs> until i feel that i've sort of like exhausted every possible idea that could come out of me for that particular song Sometimes that's a week, sometimes that's a month. I've had songs that, you know, I sat on for a year, two years, and would open, throw some stuff on, come back to, throw some more stuff on, um, and then finally hit that place where I'm like, there is nothing more that I can do here. Now what I need to do is subtract. Um, and so I'm looking, you know, we're, we're talking on Zoom right now, and I can see in the backdrop you have a whole bunch of awesome-looking gear in the background. I see about seven keyboards and stuff like that. So when you're kind of throwing as much paint at the wall as you can, um, is it with all the different studio tools, all the different plugins, literally like whatever? Or do you kind of throw a whole bunch of musical ideas all from one instrument maybe, or from a few choice instruments uh, before you start subtracting and finding, like, the best ideas? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, it's usually from a bunch of different musical instruments because, you know, as a mixing engineer, I also know that you only have a certain amount of frequency spectrum within a song, and most instruments each carry their own frequency spectrum. So I'm very mindful of that when I create. And in fact, that's like some advice that I always give to my mixing students is half of having a great sounding mix has to do with choosing the right instruments that play well together, right? And so... 
I'm not going to go stack three layers of pads on top of each other or three different basses on top of each other. So I'm very mindful of which instruments I choose for which songs. Plus, the instruments that you choose and the combination of instruments that you choose for those songs end up really creating the vibe in itself, right? So if I want to make something that's, you know, kind of bluesy feeling and... um I'm gonna I'm gonna use let's say an electric bass, an electric guitar, some more live sounding drums, and possibly some like realistic sounding strings. If I want to make, you know what I'm saying, like basically the choice of the choice of your sounds, the choice of your instruments, ends up really dictating the feel of your song. And I think that's one thing um, I try to also get to my students to understand is that you know we all have access to tons of plugins but a lot of these plugins all have just digital electronic sounds so i get a lot of students that are like man i want my music to sound more you know real more authentic um i like electronic music but i'm not trying to make strictly electronic music and that's always a fun conversation to have because you do have a lot of kids who are also just like i want to make bangers man edm you know trap music blah 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 and i'm like yeah i'm gonna help you show you how to do that but I love when I get the students who have a uh, who want to reach further and kind of experiment with combining genres, combining real instruments with, let's say, VST and electronic sounds. Well, yeah, and I think that like with the so many different options of sound sources that we have, right, samples and found sounds and synths and this and that and this and that, right? Like really, so much of your sound that's like your signature sound uh, with air quotes around that really comes down to the sounds that you choose to use right like someone could write two producers could write the exact same song but if one is using like you know vengeance samples for the drums and the other guy is using live recorded sounds the vibe of the songs are going to be completely different and fans potential fans whatever are going to gravitate to them for their own specific reasons between the two producers right so it is like absolutely paramount to really be constantly curating all the samples that you're getting all the preset banks you have all the instruments that you have in your studio and just trimming the fat as often as you can to keep progressing forward towards a sound that is like authentically you absolutely um you're you're you hit the nail on the head when you said two different producers could make the you know you could have the same progression the same the same chord progression the same drum beat pick you know a big fat serum saw pad and some vengeance drums and pick an acoustic guitar and some live drums the exact same drum beat the exact same chords and you're going to have two completely different songs and just to kind of return back to the idea of like timelessness but also kind of harkening back to what you were talking about earlier too i think it's important to note about like how sound selection and stuff matters to a mix so much it's a it's a good like example that i was told in my early days of when i was learning to mix and stuff is that like you know back in both beethoven's day back in box day and stuff when they were composing these massive like orchestra ensembles and stuff right like they didn't have eqs in these massive live rooms right they had to rely on the sound selection to almost mix itself which is why you know the violas are placed where they are and why the why the cellos are placed where they are and really like the timbres of the sounds don't need that much extra eqing just because of of how they sound layered on top of each other there's so much space in between them that there no eq is needed back in those days when they were performing absolutely uh also you know there's this myth out there that every sound in your song should be a stereo sound okay and so when you have all stereo sounds 
all of a sudden your stereo field starts to get smaller and smaller and things are competing with each other so um yeah a lot of a lot of stuff to learn but you're right the the timbre of a sound is gonna play a huge role in dictating sort of where it sits in the mix and how it interacts with other instruments in the song and that's something that you know you can teach but it also comes with experience well the experience is what's going to give you like the instinct to know that it's right you know what i mean or when it's wrong um because i think so much of of mixing and so many like production errors and the reason why a mix isn't good oftentimes just comes down to user error right like uh bad eq moves that cause problems down the line or bad sample selection so as a teacher i know you've already touched upon this already a bit but like as a teacher at point blank how do you teach timelessness to your students especially who i would reckon the students are a bit younger than you are right um and you know it sounds like your definition of timelessness is almost like hearkening back to the music that you not not you grew up with but like you have sentimental attachment to but you're older than the students that you're teaching to right so they don't have the the bank of experience the wealth of of, of experiences that the, to attach to music that you do right so how do you communicate to these younger uh, starry-eyed rose-tinted glasses students uh the the value and and the timelessness in their own productions it's quite difficult <laughs> you know i one share music with them oftentimes like hey check this song out do you know this do you know um sly and the family stone because a lot of people don't right i've had students who don't know who de la soul is so sharing of music explaining in context that let's go back and realize that first of all they didn't have computers okay they made this incredible music without computers they also look up until middle 80s eqs only went to 12k okay so like the possibility to make incredible music has been there for a long time and now we have all these tools at our fingertips that are just endless i try to get the students to realize that what they love right now may not be what they are gonna love in 10 years 15 years 20 years you know when i have a student who's like i'm into hardcore trance and i'm like i, I realize you're 20 years old and you're into hardcore trance but do you think when you're 40 or 50 you're still gonna you know be into hardcore trance it's pretty doubtful so i try to give exercises as well where i have students make music that is completely outside of their genre so every student's like i came to school here to learn to make tech house or trap music or whatever their their current passion is right but i often challenge them and say all right so you're a tech house guy make me a hip-hop beat you're a hip-hop guy make me a disco house song um think outside the box there's no better way to improve your skills or your chops than by being able to do any kind of music and once you do that a lot of them they're like but i don't know how to make that and i'm like okay so let's go listen to some of that let's go dissect some of that let's go analyze the tempo let's go analyze the choice of instruments used in that kind of music now you have a better understanding of that kind of music and i think in doing that it really broadens people's horizons and opens them up to different kind of music that they may not have known that they would like but end up liking and in that sense you're instilling in them a timelessness of appreciation for things outside of their own sort of comfort
it down with class. Do you have any stories of like big aha moments that a student might have had or like a like a big connecting of the dots that a student might have had after you kind of walked them through that process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, for a lot of ultra beginners, when you explain, let's say, four on the floor to them, how techno music, when you explain that it's really just a kick on quarter notes, a lot of them are like, oh, my God, that's it. I'm like, that's it. It really is just that. And then, you know, their mind is just like, oh, my God. Like, you know, as producers who have been doing this for a long time, we know this like the back of our hand. But like to someone who's just coming in and absolutely of one never made music in their life, but has listened to, let's say, house music and techno and gone to festivals. When you show them how easy it is to program a four on the floor beat, they are very happy. They are just like, oh, my God, this is this is what I've wanted. Now I've got the formula, right? Another aha moments come when I talk about sampling in my classes and show people what the original versions of songs were that were sampled by some of their favorite artists. That's also, I see people just, their eyes just light up and they're like, no, no, this song copied that song. I'm like, no, the song that you liked was a sample of this song. They, they oftentimes, they don't believe me. They're like, no, that person stole it. I'm like, bitch, this was in 1972. Your song came out in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, man, like, I love going to whosampled.com and just, like, scrolling through all the old hip-hop songs I used to listen to and just figure out how these, like, how these producers flipped and spun these, like, crazy samples. It's just, like, inspiring in its own right, and I don't even listen to that much hip-hop anymore, and I, let alone produce it. Sampling is a very, very sacred art form, and it's one that's very dear to my heart because it's actually how I started out producing music um, as a sample artist. So, um, And I have a huge vinyl collection, and I still collect records, and I still sample to this day. So it is something that is so, in my opinion, also timeless. And yet it's an art that, you know, you don't learn in school. You don't there's not you know everyone's learning how to use midi and and make electronic music and there's less appreciation for sampling and to me that's that's kind of sad because i believe the art of sampling is timeless in itself it's um you're essentially pulling little pieces from things of the past and creating something new out of them and in that sense it's a cycle of timelessness why do you think the priority uh, has shifted away from sampling? Or why do you think it's becoming less and less of a regarded as an art form? Uh, I think, number one, just the legality behind it. You know, um, it's harder to you have to do more work in the sense that if you want to, you know, put a song out that has samples in it, either you're going to go the authentic or the, the legal route and get stuff cleared, which is really difficult, or you're going to need to really chop those samples and get so creative that it will never be recognized and so that's just more work than let's say grabbing a vst instrument and being like ding, 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 ding. there's my there's my melody you know yeah do you think it has anything to do with um you know the rise of sites like splice and loop cloud and stuff kind of just spoon feeding samples to people with like you know their whole filter systems and key locks and stuff like that where before you uh, actually had to kind of uh, hit the pavement and find dope samples that were pressed wax absolutely, absolutely. that's an, uh, that's another thing uh, great point you made yeah the creation of sample packs and sample sites like that it's all there for you at your fingertips and not to sound so old but i remember when i started it was uh i worked in record stores for years just to collect vinyl so that i could 
dope drums and, you know, nice sounds for sample and things like that. There were no sample packs. There wasn't anything. There was nothing like that. You, it was a, it was a secretive art form. You had to go, you know, a friend would be like, dude, have you heard the, the drum break or the snare even on that one record right there? Like that snare is the snare that, you know, so-and-so used in so-and-so song. And you'd be like, oh my God, that's, that's where they got that snare, that crazy snare or that clap. Uh, nowadays, you just, like you said, you go on Spice and it's just like you got a choice of 70,000 snares. I feel like the benefits, all the same benefits of sampling are still there, right? It's just like it's just people don't don't do the work or they just like they just don't see it as an option when there's just easier options there, right? Like you can find crazy snare drums buried in old, old vinyl and stuff that is probably pretty easy to clear because if you're just taking that one super unique snare sample or that one little bit right like all the same benefits of sampling that were there all the t all that while ago are still there as long as you do the work and if not the benefits are even more so there because no one else is doing it right like to me especially trying to make timeless music now and nowadays really comes down to just making yourself unique creating an, a sound that is kind of unique to you which is why i've been ditching a lot of samples and i've been trying to pick up a little bit more like hardware and trying to use hardware in interesting ways because that alone like trims down the competition of people having access to those same sound sets in hopes to kind of make my own stuff stick out from the crowd and with hopefully being a bit more timeless in the long game or yeah, you know. i i think um i i uh, i go the same route as well so in the synths that I use, I don't, I try to use different, some of the least popular synths. I, I seek out rare, weird instruments. I seek out things that not everyone has and not everyone's using, or at least are used less. Um, and I think you're right. By doing so, you're making your own music sound more unique. You're making uh, things that don't have the same stamp that 99% of people's music has. For instance, I don't use Sim. You can play me any song and I'll be like, yeah, that's Sim, right? So it's just something that has a certain sound that, in my opinion, is just too, I don't want to use because it's just too common. Again, I've, I've stopped using as much software as I used to. I mean, because if anything, because like the amount of people who can just like pirate it or whatever means that there's like probably a two million producers out there using the exact same presets, the exact same cymatics presets. If people still use cymatics, I don't know. I remember they were super big when I was first getting into this stuff. But yeah, uh, so kind of moving on to the next question. Where do you look for timeless inspiration? You kind of talked about like your record collection and some of the, the, the music uh, that pulled at your heartstrings and that you have specific connotations to uh, and memories attached to and stuff. But is there anything maybe outside of those records specifically or, you know, anything else in your life that you kind of pull inspiration from? Yeah, nature's a big one for me. I try to get out into nature as much as I possibly can. In fact, daily, there's something about a tree or a skyline or the ocean or birds. I, I don't know. Something it, they they were here before us, and hopefully <laughs> they'll be here after us. Who not not so sure about that anymore. But um, you know, the timelessness of Mother Nature and how it re it's a cycle of death and rebirth and death and rebirth and growth that's hugely inspirational to me um being human beings and you know having an expiration date we are only here for a short amount of time but nature continues to just regrow and re re like yes things die and then they grow again and seasons change and that 
to me is extremely inspirational. If, if I were to link one of your songs in the show notes uh, to talk about this topic specifically, uh, in your latest single, Let's Go, how, how did nature influence your latest song that just came out today? I would say nature gives me perspective. And instead of going micro into music, I like to go try to see the big picture of a song. And this is something, again, kind of tying back to something you asked earlier, but what do I do in my own music to try to find timelessness in it? Um, in the past, it's been really hard for me to break out of looking into, like, over-analyzing the music, over-building the music, thinking too hard about which notes are what, and the time I spend in nature shows me that actual imperfections are beautiful. And so it's helped me to sort of approach music from a way where imperfections in the music, rather than being like, ah, I don't like that, let me try to make it better, reminding myself, hey, that's what you played or that's what came out of you, out of you first. Those were your instincts, and generally your instincts are spot on. So roll with some of those things. And I see that in nature all the time, imperfections, and yet the beauty in the imperfections. So for instance, in my latest song, um, you know, I go hike up in the hills every day here in LA. And um, at the end, you get a big view of the city, right? You're just looking down over the city and you're, I see coyotes and rabbits and birds and all that stuff. And, you know, they're all sort of up in the hills kind of hiding from the city that we are continuously growing onto their territory. So when I look down over the city from inside their territory, it's like a huge inspiration to me to be like, I'm in your area for a short minute that I'm there. I, I feel like I'm no longer in society and I'm like that duality for me is a huge inspiration in how I write my music and like how I aim to make music, my music make people feel. For those that are fans of my music, they always tell me that my music is very introspective. It's also very cinematic or whatever you want to call it, things like that. And therefore, that that's always a great compliment to me because what I aim to do in the music is to make the listener feel something. Whether it be feel happiness, feel sadness, feel reminiscence. Music that makes you feel something, to me, is one of the biggest aspects of a song that is timeless. So do you think an artist should be actively concerned with being timeless? Or do you think that's out of their control? And I only say that because, right, like all the music that I myself consider timeless and kind of the examples that you have given, it's hard to define exactly what timeless is until there's been a couple other generations, a couple other different iterations of music and the music industry and stuff has separated it, it between the, its official release and when people start regarding it as timeless. So should it's artists good. artists actively producing music even be shooting for that? Or is it is it an impossible standard to aim for in the moment that it's being made? I think it's pretty impossible standard to aim for in the moment that it's being made, like you said. However, um, I do think it's something to keep in mind in the sense that like, Look, if you're just making, if you're just getting into making music and you only want to make what's trendy right now, I think that's also maybe a little bit dangerous because what's trendy now won't be in a couple years. And so you want to just, I, I think to, to kind of summarize that, I think approaching music 
from the from a point of like I really want to express myself what's inside me rather than I want to make music because everyone else is doing it and you know this is the kind of music that's cool right now so I'm gonna make this kind of music I think if you can find a way to not be afraid to express yourself everybody has some something creative deep inside them to say every single person but a lot of us a lot of people are afraid to do that and so they go the easy route and say well this is what's cool i'm gonna make what's cool right and mm-hmm. so um i do think it's hard to set out and say i'm gonna make timeless music but part of timelessness is also being in touch with your deep inner self and like being able to communicate that on record that's a f- interesting point that you say because i kind of also agree right like you know I think there's there's a couple artists who are like actively touring and stuff right now that I think will go on to be like timeless artists, no doubt. But by and large, uh, it is tough to actively pursue timelessness. But that being said, I think in today's day and age of music production, there is no better time to be doing it and kind of having that maybe be the end goal or the goal for the future, right? Because there's a pros and cons of having so many different tools at our disposal, right? There's there's it, there's a con of having a whole a billion plugins, 800 gigabytes of plugins on your computer. Uh, the cons, you know, there's like you're easily distracted. You don't know the tools well enough to be able to maximize their effectiveness in your song, stuff like that, right? But the benefit is that if you can harness the power of some of these modern tools and stuff, right, there could potentially be zero friction in between what's going on in your head to, and getting it out into your DAW, right? And that's the truest artistic expression that you were kind of just talking about, right? Just letting that music, that off- authentic music of yourself kind of flow out that's the that's the stuff that like has the best chance of of being timeless uh you know x amount of years from now do you do you have any other thoughts on that i just kind of kind of mused a bit i don't know if i have a specific no i think i think you're absolutely right because if you think about it like most and and tying this back to being an instructor and a teacher and a mentor to people one thing that they always tell me is like man i have the music in my head but i can't get it out onto the jaw right and so and I tell them, welcome to being an artist. Welcome to, you know, having a vision or hearing something in your head and trying to find a way to get that out so the world can hear it the way that you hear it. It's a very challenging process. And like you said, yeah, we are living in a time of the facilitation of that is now the best that it's ever been, right? I can hum into Ableton or Melodyne a melody and it will convert it to MIDI for me and I can have one of 7,000 instruments play it. So the technology has led us to a place where it is more than ever possible to take what you have inside you and put it, let's call it the paper or the DAW, let's put it on paper or put it in the DAW. And that's amazing. Like that is, we are living in an incredible time of music making and I always encourage people to follow that follow what's inside you rather than just be like well so and so's making this so and that's what's getting booked at festivals so that's what i should make right but you're right in the sense that the tools are crazy and anyone who's looking to get into making music right now from a starting from ground zero there couldn't be a better time or an easier time yeah so you also like um, you make a good point there as well just about like the fluidity of expressing your your true self right and uh i think i think that's why i stress to anyone that i'm working with for music production and or any producer whatever is that like you know it's better to learn a few tools really well and in fact it's better to learn like your daw really well that's why i like tell all my buddies 
learn the hotkeys, learn the Q commands and stuff, right? Because it's, it's like struggling to learn a, a different saturator than you're used to or struggling to find what a specific key command is, right? Those are like putting little mini, tiny little barriers in between what's going on in your brain and what's going on in your jaw, where if you can break those down and like everything is just muscle memory, the ideas just flow out so much nat more naturally. Or if anything, it frees up more like headspace for your brain to be tackling a lot more cooler shit than how do I copy paste? How do I create a new MIDI channel? How do I do this? What saturator do I want to use, right? That's why it's so much better to just have a few tools that you know really well that your muscle memory can just kick in and just fly when you're going through the creation process. I think that's one of the benefits of the one, one of the benefits of me being addicted to playing uh, computer video games, like kind of all throughout college is that uh, I'm addicted to learning hotkeys. Uh, and so my fingers just fly around Ableton. I always tell students the same thing because everyone jumps in and they're like, after two weeks, they're like, but why aren't I making amazing music yet? And it's like, well, because you're still learning your way around the DAW and you're still kind of getting a grasp on the technical side of things. And once you, w this is like a language, and once you learn the language, you're able to express yourself in that language. But until you learn the language, you're just taking little pieces of words and trying to find sentences, right? And so the other thing I will say that is a great tip that I always give to people is I like to have days where I strictly dedicate in the studio to being creative, right? That means just let it flow, make music, don't have any preconceived ideas of what I'm getting from that day, just come up with ideas. Let the creativity flow without like inhibition at all. Then other days, I tend to take some of those ideas and get down to the nitty gritty and turn that idea into an actual functioning song that has flow, right? So for me, it works really well to have days where I just allow myself to noodle and come up with little ideas and save a bunch of stuff. Another kind of day is like I was saying, the day where you kind of conceptualize those ideas into full songs. Then I have other days that are mixing days, right? Where I need to mix down these projects. And then I have days where I just go sound hunting, right? Spend time just gathering sounds. By separating all those processes into different sessions or different days, it allows me to really kind of be more productive and find, because there's nothing worse than you set out to be creative. You're like, oh shit, I gotta work on all I wanna do is just make some music and jam it out. And then you spend two hours looking for the right synth sound or bass sound or whatever, and your creativity is like gone, right? That sample hunting and that sound search is a is a big deal, it's a big process, and it can kill a vibe very quickly because you have a certain sound in mind, now you gotta go search for it, two hours goes by. Now you no longer have that flow of inspiration. You mentioned something earlier about how like, you know, learning music production and stuff is like a language, and it's so funny that you use that analogy. Uh, because at, the, at my old job, it was at a, a different music production school, right? And when I was like, you know, talk prospective students and stuff, that's the exact same analogy that, that I would use. I would say that music is exactly lear like learning a language. If you're learning French, right, and you go out to Paris and you only know a little bit of French, you might be able to order maybe a salad and a glass of wine. But the more you know the fundamentals, the more you know the basic stuff of it, all of a sudden your brain has so much more room to talk about like, oh, I want the salad with this, and I want the red wine 
from this region and stuff, right? It, it just comes so much more fluidly, and just you get a much more, um, you know, like authentic thing that you that you want. And I think that uh, music production is exactly the same. But we are running down on time, man. Uh, what what other things can we talk about? Is there anything that you wish I would have asked you about, either about yourself or your music, your work at Point Blank, or just about the the nature of being timeless overall? No, man. I think uh, I think we're good. Just to close, I will say, you know, anyone who's been considering getting an education in music production, um, who's been just watching YouTube videos and trying to figure it out on their own, I will say there is really no better way than to go and take some courses. And not only because you're going to have an instructor that's going to be working with you to answer all your questions and help you to go from zero to 100, but also because you're going to be surrounded by other people in the same position. And there's something really important about the camaraderie and the bonds that are built between students who are learning together rather than someone who's just at home trying to take YouTube tutorials on how to figure out how to size an amp or click to a bass or whatever, right? Um, learning music in person and learning music in a group with other people who are in the same position as you is extremely valuable. I've seen it, you know, I've been teaching at Point Blank for over eight years and I've seen how students just grow exponentially. For instance, a, a class at Point Blank is 10 weeks long, okay? And in the intro to music production class, most of the people that come into that class have never made a track in their life and maybe have had a copy of Ableton but never really learned it, never done anything. And a lot of them have never even opened it up. In 10 weeks, they all leave making some form of music, some kind of track. That is incredible to me. That's like, that's one of the reasons why I do this. It's very rewarding to see people just be able to leave after 10 weeks. Because believe me, when I started, there were no classes on electronic music and doing this stuff. In 10 weeks, I was nowhere near what the, where these students are after 10 weeks of taking classes. So anyways, long point, but my, my initial thought was, you know, if you're considering music production as a hobby or something you'd like to do seriously or professionally, definitely um, look into going and taking some courses. We have a great school here in Los Angeles, Los Angeles Music School LA. We have a brand new campus. It's really good. Anyways, enough being a salesman for the school. I, I don't own the school. I'm just an instructor there. So, um, But yeah, anyways, um, I appreciate you having me on the show. No, it was fun. Hopefully hopefully, you had a good time unpacking the word timeless and how it's affected your own music career, but also the, the potential careers of all the students uh, that you work with at Point Blank. All righty, everybody. Thank you so much for listening all the way through to the very end of this week's episode. If you liked what you're hearing, please leave a comment, subscribe, download, or whatever else you can do to help support this podcast. It really helps the algorithm kick this podcast out into the masses, and it would mean the world if you could just do this one small little thing for me. I'm off now to write up some of my thoughts and musings about this week's episode, now that I've had a chance to reflect on everything that Tom and I have chatted about. A link to that will, of course, be in the episode's description, so you can check that out if you want to dive a little bit deeper into everything that we've covered over the last 45 minutes. I wanted to give a quick final shout-out to Point Blank Music School, who has been a close friend and partner to Magnetic Magazine since its earliest, earliest days. If you want to elevate your music game, 
be it DJing, production, or literally anything music industry related, or if you just want to work directly with talented artists and mentors like Tom Wilson, check out what Point Blank has to offer. We'll be back in another couple weeks with a new episode of Magnetic Meaning. But until then, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.